Coming up, I'll give you my thoughts on President Biden's Oval Office address. Also, are the Israelis under pressure from Biden to delay their ground invasion? Plus, new details about Hamas's invasion of Israel, how they were able to breach the Gaza barrier, how they were able to exploit some glaring weaknesses of the on the part of the Israelis. And glaring, I say that obviously in hindsight, because nobody saw this coming, nobody could have. But I did dig up some interesting information, multiple People have been fired over their support of Hamas, as well as their vicious anti-Semitism. Those are Americans, so we will get to that. And the other news of the day, Congress, of course, is still dysfunctional. But the big news today, two hostages have been released. Baruch Hashem, Chaste Hashem. Obviously, that is an incredible miracle. That is an incredible Yeshua. It is so bittersweet because... Obviously, so many hostages remain, and, you know, it's just unimaginable and just unthinkable, but this is good news. The Tfilas of Klai Yisrael, all the different schusim of Klai Yisrael have accomplished something incredibly major over here, and that is obviously, obviously a huge piece of news and an uplifting piece of news. Hamas did not do this out of the goodness of their hearts. Hamas did this for whatever reason. They felt that they either had no choice or they felt this would somehow be beneficial, uh, somehow help them in terms of public opinion. Qatar was involved. And you know what's sickening is that Qatar is getting all sorts of praise and taking a bow. And the media, and I'm not even sure how involved Qatar really is. They're the conduit. But I suspect that this really came from pressure. And and, and John Kirby actually sounded like this on Friday. He said, yeah, we were very instrumental, very involved. Qatar gets credit, too. He kind of downplayed Qatar's role here. So I suspect, yeah, Qatar's the go-between because John Kirby and the White House, they're not directly calling Hamas. But Qatar, the reason that Qatar is able to be influential with Hamas is because they're a state sponsor of terror because the the Qataris are Hamas light. So it's so sickening to see like Qatar get praised as though they did something good. Oh, they're so humane and they've done something that was so incredibly. Look at what they accomplished managing managing to get two hostages freed. No, they didn't. The only reason they're able to, able to influence Hamas is because they sponsor Hamas and they're a state sponsor of terror. And like the two founders of Hamas are literally sitting in Qatar right now. So they're as guilty as anybody. They're getting credit for the securing the release of hostages. Now, the question everybody has is, why did they release specifically these two hostages? These are two ladies, a mother and a daughter, the Ranans from Evanston, Evanston, Illinois. And the reason, it seems to me, the most likely reason is that they are two hostages who are American citizens who do not have dual citizenship. So there are other American citizens out there. Again, I'm not sure. This is the best. It, it is. It has been pretty much confirmed that these two ladies are American citizens without dual citizenship. So they're only American citizens. They don't have an Israeli passport. They don't have any sort of Israeli citizenship. They're literally there visiting a relative. So I, I, there may be other American citizens, and it's sh- a little shocking to me that, although nothing shocking, obviously, about this whole situation, but that more American citizens have not been released, and we'll see if that happens. But it seems that this was an extreme scenario where they're only American citizens, not Israeli citizens. And I don't know if there are any other circumstances like that. I don't believe it's hard to know. I don't believe there are other American citizens without dual citizenship, from what I understand. Could be wrong about that. There might be French or might be other citizens from other countries who have who, who are only exclusively that country, not dual citizenship with Israel. But it does seem to me that that's the situation here. So I'm guessing the United States placed enormous pressure on Hamas, especially before there's any sort of ground invasion to release these hostages. And of course, Hamas despicably wants the PR and wants to be able to say, look, they're gracious. This woman was in ill health. And look, Hamas, out of the goodness of their hearts, uh, did this humanitarian gesture. All right, let me say this about President Biden. And Biden has been saying a lot of good things. Biden has been supportive of Israel, not just saying things. He's going to be sending the Israelis a lot of help. I give him credit for that. 
But he is still a politician. Do not lose sight of the fact that he is still a politician. Biden still places his own agenda above the safety of Israel. And that's what politicians do. Let's not for a second kid ourselves into thinking that if there's a conflict between Biden's personal legacy and personal agenda and Israel's safety, Biden's going to say, you know what? Here, Israel, I don't care. I'll put my legacy aside. I'll put my own agenda aside because I care about the safety of Israel. There's no politician probably who maybe Trump, maybe Trump would do it. I don't know. Some of you can be laughing at that. But politicians always place their own agenda first. And they and they even use a crisis to advance their own agenda, which Biden's doing with Ukraine, which I'm going to get to. There's, there was a great piece by Alexander Marlowe in Breitbart where he literally encapsulates exactly what I thought of Biden's speech, pretty much, of his Oval Office address. You know, he really nails it. So I'm going to read you a lot of excerpts from there where he just analyzes what is Biden's real agenda here when it comes to Israel. Now, that none of that negates the fact that he's been very helpful, very supportive. His his agenda, in large part, intersects with Israel's agenda. Remember that, you know, Biden wants to eradicate Hamas. Biden certainly wants to eradicate terror. And it happens to be that supporting Israel now has given him this ticket to ask for tons of funding for Ukraine. So he's linking the two things, which I think I think that's pretty egregious personally. But again, I'm not negating he's been supportive. Give him credit. But let's not kid ourselves and somehow think that Biden's like a selfless hero. It's just I just don't buy it. And there are disturbing signs that President Biden is using the support he's given to Israel and that he's continued to give as pressure. He's going to he's using it as leverage to pressure Israel into doing things that may actually be less safe for Israel. These Some members of the Israeli government have basically sort of said that, like, listen, what, we have no choice here. We have to do these things that are not beneficial to us because Biden's giving us lots of money. Uh, I, look, I don't know, it, but that sounds like a manipulation tactic. And the fact that Biden has been condemning Hamas and has been so hard on them and has been so supportive of Israel, I think most politicians, you almost have to be a sociopath here after what's happened, what's transpired, not to condemn Hamas, So let's not act like Biden is a hero. More of that coming up. Welcome to the Yaakov M. Show on the VIN podcast, VIN News podcast, Yeshiva International, Nucky Radio, other podcasting platforms. Send us an email, josh at vinnews.com. We do get emails from listeners, and I appreciate that. Josh at vinnews.com. Plus, the other news of the day, the New York Times has lost its Twitter verification. Elon Musk's Twitter platform. What do they call it? X now? It's, it used to be Twitter. Now it's X. I still call it Twitter. I just I just cannot bring myself to call it X. That might change in a few months. I just I'm, I don't like change. I'm not comfortable. It's been Twitter for quite a long time. And also X is weird to me. X. I don't know. But you're going to tell me, well, if it had been called X and then it changed to Twitter, then I would say, oh, Twitter, that's a weird name because we usually think that the new name is the one that's strange because we're so used to the old name. Uh, guilty as charged, that may be. Uh, there are times when things sounded very uh, strange to me because there was like a change, and then later I became used to it and got acquainted with it, and then it, it became normal. So it's hard to know if it like objectively Twitter makes more sense than X or that's just kind of like how I feel. Uh, the media says that, oh, so the, sorry, the media says no reason has been, reading, reading my notes over here, reading, reading, the, the media says they don't know why the New York Times lost its gold verification badge from Elon Musk, because they're fake news. The media is like, well, no reason officially has been given why Elon Musk and X have taken away to a new, the New York Times' verification, maybe because... They're fake news, maybe because they're literally Hamas's personal PR firm. 
because the moment that, like, the New York Times literally sits there waiting for Hamas to release fake propaganda against Israel, they jump on the story, they publish it before they even have a chance to read it. It takes them then days if they do have to they, they, they if they have to issue a correction, they don't announce a correction, they don't retract, they don't apologize. They just quietly change the headline, like this uh, horrible story with this hospital. The, the 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 literally they reported the New York Times was one of the first to report about this hospital, and. That supposedly was bombed. Hamas reported that Israel bombed a hospital. 500 people were killed. The story was deb- and, and the New York Times couldn't wait. They couldn't wait to make that their top headline. Israeli strike kills 500 people in hospital in Gaza, according to the Palestinians. And it was fake on every level, debunked at every level. No retraction, no apology. Uh, number one, no hospital was bombed. It was a parking lot. Number two, uh, Hamas themselves bombed it or, or, or Islamic Jihad, the Palestinians themselves. It was about 40 deaths. It was not 500 deaths. And the New York Times, a bunch of other media outlets, they could not wait to jump on the story, blame Israel. They are the personal public relations firm of Hamas. Okay, but we have we have no reason given. There's no official word on why Twitter has lost, why the New York Times has lost its Twitter verification badge. We cannot figure this out. Oh, and by the way, did you see this? Thank you to my son for bringing this to my attention, that uh, the New York Times, their reporter, like one of their main reporters on the ground covering the war between Israel and Gaza, and I don't like that term, but I'll use it because I have no other choice. It, 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 it literally posted um, social media posts uh, praising Hitler several years ago. And like he's literally he, this, this is a Hitler supporter. This is this is like a Nazi su- supporter who is the, the main reporter on the ground or one of the top reporters on the ground for The New York Times. The New York Times, they like got rid of him and then they rehired him. And they're defending. They're defending. They literally have a Nazi supporter and a Hitler supporter uh, covering the uh, war between Israel and Gaza. The New York Times. It's it's mind boggling. It's almost like, really, like, could anybody even believe that's possible? And it's, it's a fact. Go check it out. And but there is no we have no confirmation on why it is that uh, Twitter removed the New York Times verification badge. Bombshell announcement. James Comer released Congressman James Comer released uh, an image of a check, a two hundred thousand dollar check that was paid from James Biden, Biden, President Biden's brother to President Joe Biden back when he was back in 2018. And it appears to be a payoff that came from a company. Um, Jim Jordan has given up his effort to be elected House Speaker. So now we're on to the next candidate. This is so embarrassing. And they're just a bunch of kindergartners. And there are actually some Republicans who are now saying, let's make the temporary speaker. What's his name? McHenry. Let's make him uh, stay on until January. Let's do some kind of maneuver where he could stay on until January. He's the temporary. He's the speaker pro temp or whatever they call it which is a terrible idea. A caller pointed out, terrible idea to make him, because then it's just a crutch. Then it's like, okay, we don't have to decide. This is what always happens. Everything in Congress, because they're so dysfunctional, everything is just like, all right, let's just delay, delay, delay. And that's not a good situation. I mean, then and and, and he's not the, the man that we want. He's not the president that anybody chose. All right, so President Biden, what is President Biden's agenda? And we have a lot to cover about Israel, as I said. Uh, it's to prevent the war from escalating. Remember, Biden needs to prevent Israel from attacking Iran. He's preventing Israel from even attacking Hezbollah because Hezbollah is an arm of Iran. And Biden wants to minimize conflict between Israel and Iran. Why? Because that could hurt the Biden nuclear deal. I'm sorry. That's what this is all about. Plus the Ukraine angle, which we'll get to. Now, now Biden um, has sent humanitarian aid to Gaza. The first 20 trucks, a convoy has gone into 
Gaza through the Rafa crossing out of Egypt. We will get to that. It was not inspected for weapons. They are literally sending trucks into Gaza and they're not inspecting the trucks for weapons. And that is apparently the U.N. is to blame. Um, the other part of Biden's agenda, funding for Ukraine. And that's what this is all about. OK, and a lot of these things are detrimental to Israel. If Israel doesn't have the freedom to be able to fight Hezbollah, Hezbollah is literally killing people. Hezbollah has these missiles that they are firing in northern Israel. They've been they keep having to evacuate different settlements and communities uh, near Lebanon and, 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 and people are dying. And there's no exaggeration. It's horrific. I'm sorry. It's really, really sad. And Israel has shown self-restraint, not um, fighting back against Hezbollah. Israel needs to flatten Hezbollah. The Iranians are close to nuclear weapons. Israel has to um, take out Iran's nuclear facilities. And Biden's pressuring them and saying, no, by the way, Biden is sending $100 million to Gaza in humanitarian aid funding. Biden's sending $100 million to Gaza, but do not worry because they say, the Biden administration, and we trust them, right? Because they're so careful. We know the money they sent to Ukraine. They have such good oversight over that money. They're sending $100 million into Gaza, but don't worry. They're going to ensure that the money does not get into the hands of Hamas. How are you going to ensure you're sending money to a place that is literally controlled by Hamas? What do you, you're going to hand them cash? Where are you handing the money? Let's, let's say they give them cash. I don't know how they even do this, but let's just say, right? So that money, I mean, you want to give them food, give them food. Okay. Cause what's the worst that can happen with food, but you're handing them money. You're giving it to soldiers at checkpoints. Where are you giving that money to? You're giving that money to officially give the money to the kids. You're going to go and find a 12 year old and say, here, take this money. You're going to go and find a family and say, here's some money and let's disperse it. You're giving the money at the, at the end of the day to some sort of authority. The authorities in Gaza, it makes absolutely no sense. I do not believe for a second. And if they are transparent and they show us, listen, this is how we're tracking the money. This is how we make sure that it goes for humanitarian purposes and not goes to buy more weapons for Hamas, then fine. But it, like, it's really, really hard to believe. I'm sorry about my skepticism. All right. So let me tell you about a couple of calls here that we got. I got a voicemail from a Rebbe. And uh, the Rebbe said, it sounds like he's been listening for a while. And he said that he was surprised. This is an interesting. I want to bring you to tell you his point. I'll let you decide. He said, you know, uh, the other day I was critical of President Biden. President Biden, the Biden administration sent $75 million to Hamas uh, several weeks ago. And uh, I was upset about that because why are you sending uh, millions of dollars to a terror group? And of course, they couldn't know what was coming about in terms of the attack. But you have to believe that that money was used to help fund the attack. Anyway, so he says, you can't be critical of Biden right now. We have to show our appreciation. We have to show our gratitude. Our curse. I tell you, President Biden is doing a lot of supportive things of Israel. And as president, even if we disagree with him, even if we're critical of him, but we can't kind of publicize that and we can't be critical of him. That was what that was his issue with my, with me. And I'm torn. I'll be totally transparent here. I don't know myself. It's a great point because obviously we have to show we can't be ungrateful. And the last thing we can do, and, and, and I always said this about Trump, if if somebody does something positive for you, whatever their agenda is, regardless of their agenda, we need them. These are the people in control. We need the machos on our side. We always need to be very supportive uh, unless it's really, really an extreme situation that's very detrimental to us. That We have a long history of that, of always being very, very supportive of politicians who help us, even if they don't like us, even if we're in danger sometimes. Uh, that, that I get that. Now, the question is, I don't think this person, this caller was trying to say that I actually need to think that. Let, let's say you're talking to your friends in shul, you're in a restaurant. Let's just say that, you know, you're you're in a private area and, you know, you want to you want to slam Biden. You, you know, you can't slam Biden because... 
he's been so helpful. You have to be supportive. You have to be grateful. I don't think anybody was suggesting that. Obviously, we can be honest and we know the reality and we can talk about that publicly. His issue was that, you, you know, you shouldn't be public about. It. In other words, you shouldn't get up in a newspaper or you shouldn't be speaking to non-Jews or to secular people or a politician and say, hey, by the way, you know, I don't like Biden's agenda. I think Biden's turning his that was, I think, his point. Not that you can't think it, not that you can't say it privately, but that you can't, you shouldn't go public with it. And I guess he thinks that this forum, because to me, this forum is about sharing the facts with our audience. Our audience, obviously, is predominantly from and, and Haredi, and it's Yidin. So we're, I feel like we're talking amongst family. That's kind of my take on this is, you know, I, I need to report the facts. I think it's very important. That's the whole purpose of this show is to share the actual truth as I see it and to give people the analysis that I believe is correct. And I think that's what people want. So if I'm just going to go and kind of sugarcoat it, that kind of uh, takes away, undermines the whole purpose. At the same time, I understand the coldest point is, listen, this is out there. I don't think anybody's calling a hotline, but this is on a lot of platforms, as we mentioned. So it's out there. People might be taking this as representative of how the Jewish community and the front community views President Biden. So I'm torn myself curious if anybody has any thoughts about that. Another caller, young man, sounds like a very nice, pleasant young man. He said to me, he said, you always talk about how Iran is two weeks away from a nuclear weapon. I've been hearing for a year, for a year and a half, Yaakov, you've been saying Iran is just two weeks away from a nuclear weapon. It's been more than two weeks. How could they be two weeks away for all these years? They're two weeks away. Well, where's the nuclear weapon? <laughs> that was the question. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that was the point of it. That was the gist. And uh, good question. Here's the answer. The answer is... Iran doesn't make the final. They might have a nuclear weapon. I would not be the least bit surprised if Iran already has a nuclear weapon. But at least according to Intel and according to the UN inspectors and all of that, who admit that they're two weeks away. Everybody admits they're several weeks away from a nuclear weapon. They, they know this because the centrifuges and the nuclear enrichment and all of that. OK, they know the, Iran has all the tools in place. So what they're saying is, but the, the Iranians have not actually assembled, at least officially, they have not assembled the actual nuclear weapon. You see, what you do is you get the different, and I'm no nuclear scientist, I'll be the first to admit, but you you get the uranium and you get whatever the rods and whatever the other things that need to be done, whatever the um, components are, good word, of the nuclear weapon, of the bomb, they get those things together and then they assemble the bomb. So they have all those parts. They have been slowly over the years, although not quietly, they've been very, very public about it, very vocal about it. They've been enriching the uranium to a very high degree. They have the centrifuges. They have all the different parts in place. So all it takes then is a few days and a few weeks, and boom, they have a nuclear weapon. That's the problem. So they're not going to, yes, yeah, so they're two weeks away. A year ago, they were two weeks away. They're still two weeks away because they're not actually going to do that final because they know they can have it. Well, you know, once they have it, it's there. It's, uh, it's accessible to them at any time. So they don't need to actually do the final assembly. They can wait for that. And then they technically don't have a nuclear weapon because if they actually crossed that line and had a nuclear weapon, then they know that it would be more justifiable for Israel or for somebody to come in and take it out. Nobody would besides Israel. Israel is always the, the one who does that. You know, everybody else just sits by and watches. So that's the answer. Um, that same caller, that same young man said to me, I keep saying that Biden needs to renege and retract the $6 billion, which still has not entered the bank accounts of Iran, the $6 billion that he gave for that hostage release, that hostage swap, because uh, Iran is using that money to, to, to sponsor Hamas and Hezbollah, etc., so uh, the caller said you can't do that because Biden gave his word. Once America gives their word, they have to stick to their word and they have to follow through. That was the qu the question or the point that the caller raised. Totally disagree. Um, it, look, there's nothing binding. There's no nothing legally binding. America could do whatever it wants. They're America. Like no judge is going to rule that. Oh, you promised you'd give them six billion. Uh, the, you know, first of all, there's probably conditions to that six billion. Probably the conditions are the six billion can't be used to fund terror, and this is probably very strong enough. 
uh, basis to say, hey, look, obviously you're funding terror. When, you know, whether it's this explain, I love when people when they when they say, who is it, Jake Sullivan or Kirby, some one of these Biden people, they say, oh, well, Iran hasn't actually spent the money yet because the money's still sitting in an account. So this was not the money used to fund Hamas. That's a, that's bogus because. The Iranians, once they know the money's coming, so I may have made this point in the past, once they know the money's coming, so then they have that guarantee. They use the money out of their own account. They have cash flow. They use that cash, and then they're going to replenish it with the money they're getting from Biden. So this money very likely was used because Iran is banking on that money, so to speak. So I don't buy that, that, well, the Iranians didn't use this particular do, these particular dollars. But the six billion, how do you give the $6 billion to, 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 to people who just carried out this attack? And we know that the Iranians are supporting Hamas. So, yeah, you renege. And w- what's the problem with reneging? There's no legal issue. It's not like the, anyone, it's not like Iran's going to sue America and say you have to give us $6 billion. So what the real concern always is, is, oh, but the trust, the honor, the, the reputation, uh, America's credibility is at stake. Because when they make these promises, they don't keep them, then people are not going to trust them. Remember they said this about um, Trump. Trump's reneging on the, you know, he pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal, even though they were breaching the deal. And there was evidence, so he had every right to. In fact, it was probably his legal obligation to pull out of the deal. Oh, but no, this is going to damage credibility. Nobody's going to ever want to make a deal with America again because America had, doesn't have credibility because they renege on their promises. Nobody's going to think that, okay? No, it never happens, by the way, because people need America. This kind of deal would happen again. And America usually does follow through, and this is an extreme circumstance. But, like, that's just not going to happen. So that's the concern. The concern is... Well, $6 billion, you're going to renege. Well, then that hurts your credibility. I don't care. You can discredit America from today till tomorrow. You cannot give Iran that $6 billion. I don't care. You, you absolutely, there is, it is totally, totally, um, inexcusable. And I think they're going to give them the $6 billion, by the way. And it's, and it's just disgraceful. And, well, but they have to keep their word. No, they don't. They don't have to keep their word. They're dealing with Iran. They're dealing with terrorists who brutally murdered hundreds, thousands of people. They don't have to keep their word. No. And you know what's amazing is when Trump moved the embassy, uh, you know, uh, he was actually keeping the word of America because it, it was it was a law passed by Congress in 1995 by the U.S. Congress saying that the embassy would be moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And Trump was actually the first president, the only president who actually followed through and actually kept America's pledge there. Nobody was saying they were Trump was getting slammed left and right. And nobody was saying, you know what? Trump's actually keeping America has to keep its word. And Trump's actually honoring the word of America. All right. So as I said, humanitarian aid convoy, 20 trucks entered Gaza, um, according to The New York Times. Now, I don't know whether to believe the story or not, because it's The New York Times. But New York Times says that this these con- this convoy was not checked for weapons. Israel was pressuring the U.N. You've got to inspect to make sure there are no weapons being snuck in through these trucks. And of course, that didn't happen. And there's another 200 trucks with similar supplies waiting at the crossing going to be allowed in. And Biden's putting a lot of pressure to allow this convoy in. And it's not getting inspected for weapons. That, which is disgraceful. It's just outrageous. It's, it's beyond outrageous. Now, it's the New York Times. You said, well, do we really believe? But when the New York Times, you know, this kind of story where it's actually, um, it, it, you know, it's much more believable. Like it doesn't it doesn't suit their agenda to me. So, you know, when the, when, when the New York Times reports something anti-Israel, I don't believe anything. I take everything with a grain of salt, not just the New York Times, but for most media outlets. But I do tend to believe this one. But who knows? Uh, okay, let's get to the Oval Office address. So Alex Marlowe, Breitbart, had a great analysis. I'm going to read you some quotes here from Alex Marlowe. Quote, the news cycle right now, radical Islamic terror directed at Israel is a terrible one for Joe. Joe Biden has harmed Israel in numerous ways over his presidency and vice presidency while simultaneously enabling terrorists and their funders. He's also clearly perceived as a weak target by adversaries around the world. The longer the media focuses on Israel, the Jews, Hamas rockets and American hostages, the worse Joe is going to look. So his instincts told him to try to switch gears. 
And actually, it was an attempted hoodwinking. The world thought the speech would be about Israel, and he did talk about Israel, but the speech was really about Ukraine. Let me pause here for a second. I thought a lot of this stuff, again, I'm, we're not being cynical to the point where like, oh, Biden's totally twisting the narrative. He doesn't care about Israel. You know, it, it, nobody's saying that. He's sensitive. He cares about Israel. I get all that. He's supportive. He feels bad. He wants the hostages released. It, nobody's going that far and making Biden sinister. I want to be clear here. But we also, he also did shift it. He's using this crisis and 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 virtually any politician would do this. That's not a, that's not a justification. It's not an excuse. Politicians are bad people. I'm sorry. Well, that, that's what this whole show is about. You know. So uh, let's be honest. But um, but I want to be clear. It's not like saying oh Biden accusing him of being this like sinister evil person. It's just saying he's being a politician. This is what politicians do is when the narrative is bad for them, they shift the narrative. When there's a crisis, they use the crisis and exploit it to suit their own agenda. All right. Back to this um, piece here. Quote. He tried to connect Israel and Ukraine to suggest to Americans if you support Israel's war for its own survival, you must also support limitless taxpayer resources being sent to Ukraine. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting here again for another second. My point here was I actually thought a lot of this when I heard the speech and I thought, oh, you know, it was a pretty good address from the Oval Office. But I also kept thinking about it. Why is he bringing in Ukraine? Why is he bringing a two-state solution? He's bringing in all these things that are detrimental to Israel. How can you not just be sensitive right now and make it all about Israel, Israel? How dare you bring in Ukraine? And there are many differences, and we'll get to that in a moment. So I thought the same thing, and then I saw this piece. Um, quote, uh, after those funds make a pit stop in the bank accounts of U.S. defense contractors, of course, they end up being sent to Ukraine. Biden ended up saying nothing newsworthy about Israel or Hamas, yet he revived the Ukraine funding discussion. End quote. And by the way, and I'll get to more in a second, you know, this was a huge um, jackpot for Biden because uh, we know that Biden's been desperate to provide funding for Ukraine, and the Republicans in Congress are vehemently against it. So Biden had a huge problem. He was not going to get the billions that he wants for Ukraine, and now suddenly this gave him an opportunity, and Biden's being an opportunist. I'm sorry, that's just the reality. It's so clear. Quote, Israel is not Ukraine. Israel is a much closer ally. It's a democracy and has been far longer than Ukraine. Its intelligence assists U.S. counterterror operations. Its technology keeps Americans safe. And Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. Israel, of course, is not. Now, I would add in, we've dumped $80 billion in Ukraine. The money's gone to waste. It's been pocketed by corrupt generals. The war is at a stalemate. That money is worthless. That Down the drain, Israel is going to take a fraction of that money, use it for the actual purpose it's intended for, win a war probably relatively quickly. Israel will eliminate Hamas or close to it with that money. So that money's not going to go to waste with Israel. And Ukraine, they're not going to lay a finger on Putin, okay? Ukraine is just an endless war, and that money's literally accomplishing nothing with Israel. It's going to be a fraction of the money, and it's going to accomplish its intended purpose. Also, I would add, Putin is not committing genocide. That's all about land. So even if Ukraine has to make a few concessions, Israel cannot make concessions. There's no concessions. Hamas wants Israel wiped off the face of the earth. With Putin and Ukraine, not similar at all. Um, back to this piece here. Joe Biden, all right, I'll leave out some, uh, I won't get into some of the weeds over here. Uh, he mentioned a two-state solution. And by the way, Biden mentioned two-state solution multiple times. Quote, the fact that he's even bringing up two-state solution debate right now, days after the attack, while Americans are still held hostage, is seemingly out of touch. But sadly, it's probably not. Those comments were likely a bone being thrown to the pro-Hamas faction of our society, a group of people who seemingly control many of our major newsrooms. And another low point for the night, Joe Biden scolded Americans for Islamophobia from two decades ago despite the fact that radical Muslims targeted Jews for torture and murder just this month. Here's a quote, quote, I know many of you in the Muslim community are outraged, saying to yourself, here we go again with Islamophobia and distress that we saw after 9-11. Um, so the timing would seem a bit off unless you see it as a dog whistle to extremists in his Democrat political base. Can we at least try to free hostages before we get a lecture on why we need to be more careful not to hurt people's hypothetical feelings? 
All right. Meanwhile, that so that's an that's that's that. Now, meanwhile, there's a growing sense that Israel's restraint on the Lebanese border and its delay in the ground invasion are a result of U.S. pressure. Uh, and even Biden, by the way, on Friday, believe believe it or not, Biden was asked by a reporter, should Israel delay um, their ground invasion so that there could potentially be a release of more hostages? And Biden said yes. And of course, the White House later said Biden did not hear the question. So which I wouldn't be shocked that Biden did not hear the question. That wouldn't shock me, obviously. But we do have Biden responding and saying that, yes, Israel should delay. All right. Uh, Joel Pollack from Breitbart, he also was very critical. He didn't like linking it to Ukraine. He said some important... I need to read this. He says important things. Sorry for getting a little into the weeds here. Uh, quote, Biden began with heartfelt expression of solidarity with Israel, but then he tried to link Israel um, to, to Ukraine, a war that's becoming increasingly unpopular and Americans do not understand. It's a worrying sign that Biden's support of Israel might be weak and conditional. On his visit, Biden got the empathy part of the visit right. He was, it was impressive that he went at all. And when he did, he said the right thing. You are not alone. But he made a mistake insisting that the delivery of humanitarian aid to Gaza, knowing full well it's going to be seized by Hamas terrorists and undermining Israel's call for all hostages, including Americans, to be released before they send humanitarian aid. Now he's jeopardized funding for Israel's war effort by tying it to funding for Ukraine's stalemate against Russia, the most charitable way to describe this linkage, is it was an attempt to justify support for allies in general, but it looked and felt more like a way to exploit atrocities to justify billions more in defense spending. That's going to delight lobbyists and contractors in Washington, but will infuriate Americans who are wondering why Biden will not spend even a fraction of those billions on finishing the southern border wall to keep our own country safe. So really great points there, I thought. Um, yeah, OK. And by the way, as I said, according to The Guardian, um, news outlet, the Israeli government is under growing pressure uh, to not launch a preemptive strike against Hezbollah. I wouldn't even call it preemptive. It's, it's disgraceful that the Guardian's calling it pre- preemptive against Hezbollah. Hezbollah is shooting down rockets and actually killing people out of Lebanon. So it's not preemptive. It's, it's, it's a response and retaliation and, and just protecting its citizens. But um, supposedly there's strong opposition from Biden. They, they fear that a, a two-front war could risk a major regional conflict. And you keep hearing that over and over again, that rhetoric, that we can't have this an escalating regional conflict. It has to be local, has to be isolated. And again, uh, that would that's not because of any lofty reasons. That's because it would kill Biden. It would crush Biden's legacy. All right, so a stunning interview, as I told you, the Gaza barrier um, was breached. And apparently the Gaza barrier was never designed to prevent this kind of attack. I found this pretty stunning. Uh, an interview has surfaced in 2018. The developer of the Gaza border fence spoke with Bloomberg News in 2018 and said that the barrier was not designed to fend off a large scale invasion. Basically, the 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 the, the technology of the barrier is that if somebody coughs near the near the wall near the fence, or if somebody touches the fence or breaches the fence, then immediately it sends off alerts. So, but you need to respond. In other words, the the wall itself is not um, invincible to being blown up or to being bulldozed, but uh, it, it sends out alerts. So if you don't have a human uh, presence there being able to respond, then the whole um, value of the wall is totally undermined. So I was not aware of this. In a 2018 interview with Bloomberg, former CEO of the defense firm, Saar Korsh, former CEO of this defense firm that constructed and maintains the wall, the fence, said that the wall could be breached. He said the purpose of the wall was mainly to alert rather than prevent and stressed that the barrier was not built up to stop riots because, remember, Hamas was threatening these massive riots on the border, but to give real-time indication if someone's trying to cross the border. So basically, it does not withstand being torn down. It's a high-tech wall, so it gives real-time alerts, but you need a presence. 
course said, this is stunning here. This is back in 2018. He said, quote, it would take about 30 seconds to cross the wall if there were thousands of Gazans storming the fence. And at the time, the IDF said they were beefing up security. They had tanks, drones, and snipers. So they basically had a human presence there um, in addition to the wall, which that was the whole plan. So this is Magal Security Systems. The This is the, uh course, was the CEO of Magal. They were the ones who created the wall. And now, according to the New York Times, the operational failure, they have new details about the attack. They say the operational failure began. There was an urgent alert the morning of the attack. There was a sudden surge of activity of like chatter and activity um, amongst Hamas communication networks. So there was an alert sent to border guards, but border guards didn't respond. They either did not get it or did not see that alert. But one of the main failures, again, this is a New York Times take with a grain of salt, but I'm just reporting what I'm seeing. One of the main failures was reportedly an over-reliance on the remote-controlled border fence, insufficient defenses. So basically, drones bombed and disabled communication towers and surveillance centers and remotely operated machine guns near the border. Um, and they disabled security cameras using sniper fire. So the border became pretty defenseless, but there were not enough uh, soldiers stationed near the border because forces had been diverted to the West Bank and the North. And the reason is because the military believed that there was so sophisticated, such sophisticated technology uh, uh, by the border wall by Gaza that they did not need a human presence. Um, New York Times released some sort of video, the secrets Hamas knew about Israel's military, discussing what they interviewed more than 20 survivors and reviewed live footage. And there's one instance where Hamas was armed heavily with explosives and other weapons. And one Hamas unit crossed over Gaza's border into Israel riding on motorcycles. They went directly to a military base and they already had a map of the military base's exact layout. So according to New York Times, 10 gunmen from, gunmen from Gaza knew exactly how to find the Israeli intelligence hub and get inside. So they knew how to literally hijack this um, Israeli military base and just do horrific, horrific things. So Hamas, they were so well-informed, and it's just stunning. They had the incredible intel, so well-prepared, so well-informed, knew exactly the weaknesses, and there were similar assaults that took place on multiple Israeli fronts simultaneously. So really, really shocking um, new details. Um, okay, now multiple supporters of Hamas in the United States have been fired after posting anti-Semitic messages on social media. And a bunch of Harvard students and Columbia University students have have had their offers rescinded for jobs because they support Hamas. So let me tell you some details over here. Dr. Andrew Theory of California has been fired from expert MRI. He was the chief medical officer of expert MRI after his disturbing anti-Semitic social media posts. Um, in one of his posts that since deleted, Dr. Theory said, quote, Zionists are genocidal, demonic, greedy retards change my mind. The only thing Zionists are superior at are lies, deceit, and genocide. So expert MRI promptly fired him. Quote, expert MRI is aware of the disturbing anti-Semitic post by Dr. Andrew Theory. Effective immediately, he's no longer the chief medical officer. Unbelievable. Now, he responded to this man by apologizing. I mean, you, it's unbelievable. Here's what he said. Quote, he posted an apology, and he said he was misunderstood. This, this is unbelievable. These people write this 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 drivel. Quote, I apologize if anyone interpreted my words the wrong way. I love everyone, including Jews. I am most critical of my own government. All the other wars in the U.S. is involved, and I apologize if I offended anyone. I have only love in my heart, which breaks any time innocent humans suffer. Only love in his heart. Again, I'm going to read you his quote. Zionists are genocidal, demonic, greedy, retards. Change my mind. The only thing Zionists are superior at are lies, deceit, and genocide. Oh, he's he he, he loves all people. He loves everyone. He loves Jews. And he apologizes if he offended anyone. He has only love. This man has only love in his heart. It's unbelievable. Meanwhile, um, in Miami, uh, a dental group 
uh, has fired a dentist. Videotapes were posted of him removing posters of of, of hostages, of Israeli hostages, um, being who are kidnapped by Hamas. So they fired him. An employee with the Illinois Comptroller's Office has been fired. She posted vulgar anti-Semitic comments on social media. Um, so Comptroller Susanna Mendoza was fired. Um, no, I apologize. She, the Comptroller is the one, Susanna Mendoza was the one who fired this um, employee. Who The employee's name, I cannot, pull, oh, I cannot pull up right now. I don't have that. Maybe it was, I don't even know if, oh, sorry, Sarah Chowdhury. The employee's name is Sarah Chowdhury. And she has apologized. Now, I don't know, I could not find what exactly her um, comments were, what she posted. But either way, she's been fired. And she then told the Chicago Tribune, she tried to apologize. So pathetic. She said she was extremely sorry for the inappropriate and reprehensible comments. And... Um, apologized to the person with whom she had the heated exchange. So some kind of back and forth exchange on Twitter. Chowdhury said she was distraught over the war and was frustrated. Quote, I don't know what came over me. I was in a state of panic. Anti-Semitism has no, pl- has no place anywhere. So she was in a state of panic, and that's why she spewed vicious hatred, vicious anti-Semitism. And a major law firm has rescinded an offer to three students at Harvard and Columbia because they endorsed um, Hamas. Law from Davis Polk told employees in an internet email they withdrew job offers from three students who signed statements that blamed the Israeli government for the, the attacks on Hamas. All right, so the New York Times is officially lit, fake news, as official as you can get, because Elon Musk and Twitter have removed the New York Times' gold verification badge. What an embarrassment. Um, the families of... All right, what, what else has gone on over here? Families of Hamas terrorists are going to get a monthly stipend. Uh, that's kind of an old story, although that's really very, very disgraceful, obviously. All right, James Comer, the House Oversight Chairman, he announced that the committee obtained bank records and revealed, I actually saw a picture of the check here, $200,000 direct payment from James Biden to Joe Biden. Okay, that might not be a big deal. It, it says loan repayment in the memo, but here's what's amazing. In 2018, James Biden received $600,000 in loans from AmeriCorps, which was a hospital operator that was in financial distress. According to bankruptcy court documents, James Biden received loans based upon representations that his last name, Biden, could open doors and he could obtain a large investment from the Middle East based on his political connections. Uh, In March of 2018, AmeriCorps wired $200,000 loan into James Biden's personal account and not their business account, their personal account. On that same day, James Biden wrote a $200,000 check from the same account to Joe Biden. Well, isn't that shocking? Um, okay, so the speaker, the search for the speaker, the hunt for a House speaker, it is so, so dysfunctional and it's so embarrassing. So Jim Jordan, there were three rounds, Jim Jordan. And I, and look, I kind of knew this. I knew it was too good to be true because there's always going to be a contingent of moderates who are never going to allow Jim Jordan to be the speaker because they feel he's too conservative. He's too MAGA. He's too much of a Trump supporter. So he's too extreme, you know? So, uh, I just didn't believe it was possible. Steve Scalise, Maybe more of a possibility. I know that they tried that and it flopped, but who knows? I still think it may end up being Gavin McCarthy's kind of sitting there and waiting uh, in the wings, waiting in the background until they wake up and realize that he's really the only person who can bring the party together and he'll have to make some kind of peace with Matt Gates. I'm not saying that's going to happen. Nobody knows. Anybody tells you they know is wrong because you can't know. <laughs> I don't I don't believe. But um, like to me, the most likely person, I think Scalise is a possibility. I think it might be Jim Jordan. Byron Donalds. Byron Donalds who's super conservative. Byron Donalds is an African-American congressman of Florida, very, very pro-Trump, and um, he actually says that he's going to run for speaker. I think that's unlikely because he's very conservative, but he's saying, listen, I'm an African-American. This would be progressive. He'd, I think he'd be the first black 
a Speaker of the House, and it would be a Republican. So it would be, in that sense, it would be amazing if you care about, you know, those kinds of optics. So Steve Scalise is out, Jordan is out, and look, they're just a bunch of kindergartners. They're like making these, emo- like these Congress people are like doing these like emojis to each other on Twitter. Like they're having these like very petty debates on Twitter. Like he said, she said critical, like very personal, petty things. You're members of Congress. You are members of Congress. Now, I'm going to explain in a moment. Why is it that members of Congress can get away with being so dysfunctional and not get voted out of office? I will explain that a little bit. But you're like one of 435 elite members of the House of Representatives. You've been voted into office. Represent your people. Stop being babies. And I'm not giving a pass. It's not like the, the, I like people say, oh, the Republicans in Congress are dysfunctional. So the Democrats are not. They're all dysfunctional. They're dysfunctional. They're babies. They're selfish. They're ego-driven. You know, it's all about their own agenda. And uh, it's, just, it's just there's nothing you could say. And Congress always has like a 13 or 15 percent approval rate a rating. So everybody can't stand Congress. So here's what's interesting is Jake Tapper was on CNN, was interviewing Congressman Steve Womack of Arkansas, a Republican. Now, Womack is slamming his own party. He's right. Womack is a straight shooter. It's like, I'll support, you know, Tapper said, who do you support? I'll support anybody. If they're a Republican, I will support them. We need a Republican. Any Republican is better than having a Democrat speaker or having no speaker. He's right about that. I say the same thing. Um, and I'm pretty conservative. But the, here's what happened is, 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 is Jake Tapper says, you know, this is high school stuff. We're seeing the whole back and forth, these petty things between these congressmen. This, this is high school behavior. And Steve Womack says, Jake, you're insulting. That's offensive to high school students because this is junior high behavior. This is not high school behavior. You can't make this up. They literally had this exchange and they're both wrong because it's kindergarten behavior. They're, you know, J- Steve Womack is insulting junior high school students. Let me just briefly explain why can Congress get away with this if, if a president did this? Uh, um, probably even the Senate, but if a president did this, it would never, ever fly. Or if the governor did this, they'd be voted out of office. Congress is interesting because, in a bad way, because they have an enormous amount of clout. Because what happens is a congressman gets elected into power. Congress always has 15% approval rating. Literally, always. not No, no exaggeration. 15%, one five. But um, everyone in the country agrees we cannot stand Congress. So they always get reelected. Why? Because you're not reelecting the Congress. You're reelecting your own personal congressman. So what happens is your congressman gets into office. At that point... They haven't. So people, they can't stand Congress. But my congressman, oh, I like my congressman. That's not always true. But very often you'll see that. And if they actually were following daily their congressman, they wouldn't like the congressman probably. But uh, that's what happens is it's Congress in general. Congress is shielded because people hate Congress. They can't stand Congress. But, oh, well, my congressman, no, I like my congressman. He's a lot of good things. That's number one. Number two, once you're elected into Congress, you have an enormous amount of of clout and leverage to get reelected. First of all, you're bringing in money. You bring money in as long as they bring in millions to their district for whatever silly project. Um, so the, the, the voters want to keep bringing, keep, keep electing them. And Republicans do that, too. It's not like Democrats. Republicans also do. So they know how to kind of bribe their own constituents into reelecting them. Plus, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of clout. They do all these local public appearances, the local town halls and stuff. Once you're you're actually in Congress, it's very hard. I'm not saying you cannot be voted out. If let's say a Republican is, is in a very heavily Republican district. If they run against a Democrat, they're going to get they're going to win. People are going to vote for the, 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 the Republican no matter what. So they're going to win. Now, the only thing is in a primary, Trump or somebody conservative could primary them out or the other way. If they're conservative, a moderate could primary, like they, they have to worry about a primary. But even that they have so much more name recognition, so much more money. Once you're in Congress, it's so hard. It can be done, but it's rare. And especially if you're in a heavy uh, district that heavily slants in one direction, 
you're good to go. You're a shoe and you keep winning and winning. There are some members of the house who have been there for 20, 30 years. And they have nobody running against them that, that could ever, ever unseat them. So that's how they're able to get away with these shenanigans is because, yeah, I can't stand Congress. Oh, my congressmen, yeah, they're fine. They, they weren't part of that whole kindergarten thing. You know, by the way, you know, to paraphrase Nancy Pelosi, right now, if you ask me for House Speaker, I would take a cup of coffee with an R on it. I would literally just take for House Speaker, give me a cup of coffee with an R labeled on it, and I'm good to go. Because we just need somebody there. All right. Um, uh, caller... Is that going to do it? Is that going to do it for today? Wow. Let's see here. Um, all right. I'll just mention. Wow. We covered everything. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's been complicated. I will be honest. The last couple of weeks, because everything going on and I have to try to figure out what to spend time on. I try not to, you know, try to jump from topic to topic. But in this circumstance, that's difficult to do because we're really all so focused heavily on one topic and it's at the top of our minds and we want to hear the details. So, but we got to still cover others. A lot of juggling and, uh, you know, note taking and all of that. So I'm not, you know, don't pity me. It's good. It's fun. I enjoy it, the challenge, but it has been um, quite, um, you know, draining, stressful. I don't know. Not, again, not, I don't, you know, it, 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 it's not about me and it is what it is. And I love, and I love doing it, you know, not, under, under happier circumstances, but this is something that I enjoy and I love and I hope you enjoy it too. But it's been a challenge. Let's just say that. All right. So I will just mention here that same caller. I mentioned this caller who, he calls himself a Trump hater and he has a lot of points. So I, I just quickly, you know, he, he has a problem with Trump. Trump uh, increased the debt significantly under Trump. The national debt increased by trillions and he broke his pledge on that. He also broke his pledge to repeal and replace Obamacare. And the caller had a problem with Trump personally insulting McCain and saying McCain is not a war hero. So I will just respond. Um, Yes, agreed. I agree. And the caller is going to be shocked because the caller thinks that I defend. He once said this. Yeah, you defend everything Trump does. And if he, he he's a newcomer, so I'll give him a pass. But if you listen to the show, I do not defend everything Trump does. Trump increased the debt by trillions. Trump Trump with, with, with COVID relief. COVID relief, we literally are now going. And I could have told you that would happen. In fact, I think I did tell you that would happen. Once you put a spending program into place, spending package, it never gets rescinded. So we're still literally using COVID relief levels of spending. I'm not saying we still have all the programs in place, but the point is that set a new baseline of trillions of budget spending and they use it now for other things. And that became the baseline. And and I knew that would happen. And that happened under Trump. Well, there was a lockdown. It was extreme. We had, what do we have? We had no choice of COVID. I don't know, but it was a bad thing. And I'm going to criticize Trump for that. Uh, as far as increasing the debt, he increased the debt way before COVID. And I, and, and I, I am critical of that. He should not have um, you do not increase the debt. You figure out a way to cut spending. Trump failed on his promise to cut spending and uh, not increase the national debt. They all do it. They all do it. But Trump did do that. And I, and I don't see why I should give him a pass on that. I still think overall he, he did so many incredible things. But, yeah, that was a failure. Repealing, replacing Obamacare. You can blame Congress. You can blame John McCain because that was he was the deciding vote. Bottom line, Trump pledged to repeal and replace Obamacare. He did not repeal and replace Obamacare. I think Obamacare is a disaster in a lot of ways. I think it wrecked health care in, in this country in a lot of ways. Uh, Trump pledged to repeal and replace it. He did not do that. He failed. You can make all the excuses in the world, but you give credit to Trump where credit is due. So I have no problem, yes, criticizing him. Again, doesn't negate all the wonderful, amazing, amazing things that he did. But the, this call the thought, he you know, he played this gotcha game because we know that Yaakov is not going to ever criticize Trump. I have no problem criticizing Trump. I just try to be honest. All right, that's going to do it. Now I'm going to get a lot of voicemails from people who are upset that I criticize Trump. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.